Thank you for listening to The Four Pointer. We appreciate your subscription or however you take in our uh, fine work. But first, before we get this episode started, let's talk about your digital hygiene. Every day, I bet you take your phone or laptop onto a public Wi-Fi somewhere and you're not protected because you're not using a VPN. You're connecting your device directly onto whatever random Wi-Fi hotspot that's convenient, and that's how your data gets stolen. That's only one of the solves that NordVPN can provide for you. Online safety is crucial these days. Think of how much time you spend online, how much your life is spent there. Not only that, but online freedom is also something that you don't even realize is getting taken from you because you're not using a VPN. Why would you let somebody control your online experience right down to the kind of deals you can find on flights and whether or not you can watch your favorite sports team out of market? Smart people come up with solutions, and that's exactly what NordVPN has done. For a limited time, get 70% off a three-year plan when you go to nordvpn.com mavs and use the code mavs. Pretty simple, right? This special offer makes your subscription just $3.49 per month, so you can browse and shop securely online on all of your devices. Again, that's nordvpn.com mavs and use the code mavs. To save 70% off a three-year plan and get your subscription down to $3.49, $3.49 per month. Here we go. <laughs> Welcome back to another session of Sports Sesh. I'm Guy Young, and these guys are just guys. Now, I want to just jump right into hot topics. Earliest memory of Dirk, it was probably probably a year he was playing with Steve Nash. I kept hearing somebody named Dirt, like with a T, so I was like, why is there a dude named Dirt in the league? And then I... You know, I found out he was actually pretty good, so. Four-pointer. It's Mike, and it is not Jake. It is somebody that I've... Uh, big miss on my part that you have not been on this podcast prior this season because uh, I enjoy talking hoops with you uh, more than just about anybody. Um, it's the great Brian Damaris. What's going on? The original analytics department here in yes. this office. <laughs> the first NBA team to have analytics in 20. 20- Oh, two. Right. And now I see some random dude that's on the plane uh, taking up a seat, and I'm like, what are you doing? And it's like the fifth guy that answers, oh, I'm in analytics. There's uh, James Mercado, can thank you for his job. Terry, can thank you for his job. These two dudes over here that I don't even know what they're doing. They're just over there crunching numbers. They can think, uh, like people have been thanking Mike Reiner for their, their careers. I think we need a Brian Damaris Appreciation Day of all the people that work in analytics with the Dallas Mavericks at this point. I was talking to a Nets assistant coach before the game Saturday, or whenever that game was, Wednesday, uh, whatever that day was, Wednesday. And, and I was asking about their analytics, and uh, he pointed at this guy, like this was about an hour before the game, like mm-hmm. sitting in the second row, and he had his laptop out. Working. It was just so <laughs> blatantly stereotypical like, yeah. analytics guy with his laptop. If you looked up analytics guy like in the dictionary, yeah. it's that guy. Yeah. Second row of an NBA stadium just crunching numbers. Right. And like, ah! 
freaking out. Yeah, I sit next to James every once in a while whenever we get weird seat assignments. Um, and he's just, there's a spreadsheet with 1,000 rows, and he's just like filling, I don't even know what he's filling in, but he looks like he is the most hyper-focused, so I never even like turn to him or any of my jokes, any of my plain jokes that I usually would roll out. I don't, I don't try them on James because he looks too busy, but great dude. Um, and yeah, so that is Brian Damaris. Uh, you can hear him on the post-game show on the little ticket, 1310 uh, AM 96.7 FM KTCK on this Friday against yep, the Lakers, the Lakers game. game late. Yeah, Lakers game post game for you. Uh, obviously, they have other obligations as it pertains to the stars and the like. Um, so no post game for him Wednesday or Saturday, but permanent fixture on the post game show for about three years now. And six, six, six years. Can you believe it? Holy hell, man! Yeah. Wow. I came on Jake's second year. Yikes! Jeez, Louise. Um, but yeah, our first year was, uh, I believe it was the first Parsons year, 14. Oh, wow. The, the year of the Rondo trade. Yeah. That's a good year to be a part of, man. That's, uh, it's more fun now because man, the last two years, Jake and I have been watching a lot of, uh, other games on the monitors right there <laughs> right. in the press row. Yeah. Final segment is just updating scores around the league. Yeah. And then this year, I'm sure you're getting to like 45 minutes in and you're like, oh, we haven't even talked about what KP did tonight. Right. Like, that's how it works out. I've done, I've done my hand, handful of those random games on a Wednesday night when you're like, crap, guys, the Rockets beat us by 20. But this year's, uh, this year's a little bit different. And, and you know, it's, it, it's also being seen on the national TV. So ESPN Friday night is an ESPN exclusive. It's not even going to be on Fox Sports. Right. Uh, I believe tomorrow night, Wednesday night, is a national TV game. They've maxed out, TNT and ESPN have now maxed out their Mavs yep. national TV spots, and they're also maxing out their exclusives. Yep. Uh, Luca's, you know, as we see by the All-Star voting, I mean, it's must-watch TV. Yeah. Uh, I think ESPN, just inside baseball talk, I think they have 12 exclusives they can run, and I think they're almost at their cap on that. And they've so. done now, this Lakers game, I think, will be the third already that involved the Mavs. Yeah, yeah. The, the first Lakers game, and then... I think the first game after Luca got hurt, and then uh, this one coming up with these Lakers. Yeah, and so the Actually, rest. Sorry, of them, I took that fourth because the Lakers on the road. This, yeah, that Sunday night a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago was also. I've been to two of them at Staples that were strictly ESPN Lakers yeah. Mavs games, uh, which one of them was really fun, uh, and the last one was not when Tim pulled up with his hamstring and Luca took about the hardest dive backwards into a basketball court I've ever seen. Well, you know, what's interesting about that, though, is that's the only second game all year that the Mavs have not really been in that you could say they've been kind of, quote, blown out of. Yeah. Two out of 36. The Lake of the Clipper game at home and that game. That's it. The rest of the games, Mm -hmm. yeah, Boston pulled away late in the last two minutes, blah, 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 but they've been in every single game. Yeah. I was talking with Coop uh, after that game who just – you know, just needs to talk about basketball for four hours following every game. Um, and he said this was the uh, the second least fun game. He thought the Clippers game was the least fun game. And I was like, well, man, you think of it from a fan's perspective. We had the City Edition stuff going on. We had all the stuff in the plaza. It was already a party before the game even started for that game. And it was a home game. And the Clippers, first time you've seen yeah, the new Clippers. First time with the Clippers. And uh, I, was like, I was like, no, this is the least fun game I've been at. Because yeah. Tim went out early. And then Luca banged his head and had his wrist thing to begin with. They were he, never really in it. Yeah, never really in that game. And it just people just kept coming in and out. And the Lakers kind of did whatever they wanted. I was like, but it's so rare that you go to a Mavs game or watch a full game and you're not entertained until the last second. Even if we get to a situation where we're 
the four to six point lead with two minutes left or ninety seconds left seems to Not be a, comfy. Seems to be a bugaboo right now, and we'll get to some of that. But um, yeah, thank you, Brian, for joining us this year. Should have had you on much earlier in the season, but you know how uh, how my life is over here on a day to day. So uh, big oversight on my part. But uh, Jake's a little busy, if you might not have heard. Um, but yeah, I, was, I, was planning, right. I was planning on having <laughs> planning on having Brian on anyway pretty soon. We tried to link up, I think, last week, and uh, you're a busy man, and uh, we got a ton of crap going on over here. But uh, thanks for hopping on. The four-pointer brought to you by NordVPN. It is January, which if you live in this world where you watch every single game and you attend all the home games and you're doing post-game shows and pre-game shows and making content about the team, you realize that Jan- January, that's the dog days. 100%. Like, if you look across the league every single night, I'll, you know, we'll have NBA.com pulled up as we're doing whatever graphic I got to make. And I, I look across and I'm like, oh, the Bucks lost to the Bulls? What's going on? Just random crap happens in January that you can't explain because it's harder than some people will say, okay, well, like late February, you think March might drag on. Dude, it's January. It's before the All Star break. Um, just weird crap happens on a nightly basis. It's just a BS time of the year. Yeah, and we're real myopic about it because obviously we're following the Mavs really closely. But you know, the Clippers had a horrendous weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the yeah, Bucks. That's true. Uh, you know, Philly is on a you know free fall. Mm-hmm. Um, so teams are just you know they played now three months. You know, season starts a little earlier now, middle of October. They're all looking forward to that extended All Star break, and then after that, it's go time. You've got a seven-week sprint to the playoffs. So, yeah, this is tough. It's going to get even worse probably towards the end of January and yeah. people are really it's wanting get to get weirder. to the break. But the good news is you're in the middle of this six-game homestand. For the first half of the month, you're at home. Yeah. Every other day, they have the back-to-back Friday and Saturday. But you want to take advantage of that because, yes, injuries are happening. You're tired. Um, so you'd like to see the Mavs. And now they're, they're through the easy part of that. Now you have Denver, who's hot. Lakers, Philly, um, it's the tough part of that to end that homestand. But you're right, it's just, it's a slog. And some of the games, you kind of see that slogginess on both sides. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's not crisp, the, the heavy legs, et cetera. So um, you want to stay in that, you obviously want to stay in the top six. And I think as the expectations going into the season were playoffs, now you reset them and the expectations are, let's get a home seat. Yep. Yep, and I mean, add us to the list with the Charlotte game the other night. Like, that made no sense. Um, we just kind of sunk to the bottom of the ocean real quick late in that game. But, I mean, last night, Bucks lose to the Spurs uh, by 22. Right. Just stuff is happening, and you can't explain it. And it's, it's almost the teams that were staggering at the beginning of the year are hitting some kind of stride right now, and the teams that came out of the gate hot are just hoping to have a 500 January and just get past this, get to the all-star break. Then there's the light at the end of the tunnel of the final 25, 30 games uh, after the all-star break, and it's a playoff push at that point. But right now, it's just every moment feels like it's not torture because it's still fun to play basketball and to work in sports, but it's just you're in the middle of it, man. And no one's practicing. I mean, there's not a single practice going on across the league. No. So, you know, you you think, oh, we can fine-tune it. Well, the Mavs are playing every other day or back-to-backs. Uh, you, you don't want to waste those legs on practice right now. So you really don't have the opportunity to kind of, you know, you're just using the downtime to rest and, and watch film. Yeah, and uh, that's 
tenfold whenever you have injuries start piling on, right? So Tim misses a handful of games. KP's not back yet from his knee deal. Um, and, yeah, we went over there next door today. They had practice, quote-unquote, uh, but I don't even think Luca came in today. Right. I don't think KP did anything today. I think it was very light. Usually we're over there. Low-minute guys will run a lot. Yeah, they say practice is available at 12.15. Usually they're about 30 minutes late. Today it was like 12.20, come in, get this crap done, be done with it. Um, it's probably literally just looking at Denver seeing what they did last night, which Jokic went insane. Yeah, it's a glorified uh, shoot-around. Yeah. They're I not think, doing shoot-arounds on home games, I don't think, in the mornings or, or no. maybe it's on the road. I can't remember which it is. But, um, yeah, it's a glorified shoot-around, and they want to, you know, because of Porzingis and Hardaway, now Hardaway's back, but people are shifting their roles, right? J.J.'s starting, and what does that mean? And then now this person's coming in earlier than he used to, and so everybody's adjusting to new roles and responsibilities, and so that there's always hiccups when that happens. Yeah, and you're constantly trying to reach – and find that spark. Right. You that saw guy, broke off for a while. Now yeah. it's JJ in the starting lineup. Is it, you know, oh, Jackson's playing some now, yeah. you know, and then you see Rick doing that at the end of games where whoever's hot is going to get that run. Mm-hmm. You know, Brunson the other night didn't play first three and a half quarters or two and a half quarters. Right. All of a sudden he's in there and he's closing the game. Yep. Which I don't have an issue with because I want Rick now in January to figure all that out. Mm-hmm. So when you shorten the playoff rotations and you have it more set, He's comfortable with what everybody can bring. Right. And you're, and you're reaching deep in the bag for guys like Josh Reeves, who's up now. And I think Antonius Cleveland. And that's just to eat minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. You just got to have some because you don't need to burn out guys with 30-plus minutes right now. Right. There's yeah. just no point. Yep, exactly. And that's, that's the trick, right? That's the trick to keep the long view of it if you're a coach or Casey or whoever is managing minutes and keeping – the, the workflow manageable for guys? Because, I mean, there was – Rick did fall into that and play Luca 40 minutes one of those nights, right? And he talked about well, he gets about into it. rut where uh, out of necessity to win the game, he's so competitive yeah. that if a guy's hot, he just runs with him. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they can go too long, especially if they hadn't played a lot. But one of the good things, I think Rick even said this after the game the other night, um, you've seen Luca kind of – he used to play all the first and all the third and then a little bit of second and then come into like the sixth minute of the fourth. Well, then the crunch time offense or the crunch time play on both sides really has suffered. Yep. And so he's, he wants Luca A, fresher, and B, coming in earlier so mm-hmm. that he can get his rhythm in the fourth by the yep. six-minute mark. So he's taking him out. He's staggering him and playing him a little bit with second units now uh, in the first and, sec- first and third and not playing him those full quarters, although he did play him the full quarter yesterday because he was so hot. But, right. Uh, and I think that's a good thing to keep him fresher and coming in a little earlier in the fourth. Oh, yeah. So you're, you're continuing to see the, the tweaking mm-hmm. going on to f- kind of figure out, okay, that's an issue. How can I fix that? Yep. And, and have him not as beat up and, and a lot of his minutes used by the time the fourth hits. Yeah, There's, it's almost a, just a constant moving scale of this guy is such a rhythm player. Um, when he does get into that zone, that rhythm that Beat he can it. find, it's nuclear. Like, it's nuclear offense. No one can stop it. Obviously, I mean, 115 offensive rating, highest that's ever been achieved uh, if, if, if the season ended right now, ever in an NBA season. So uh, finding that, but, okay, don't you can't throw the slider every pitch, otherwise your arm falls off. <laughs> so right. you can't play him 40 minutes and play him for 10-plus minute stretches. Or just have him the ball in his hands the whole time. Right. So how do you, how do, you do that? And lately, I think the answer they've come up with is kind of playing him off ball, um, having somebody else do the legwork of getting the ball over the timeline and initiating the offense. Most of the sets still end up with him with the ball in his hands making a decision. But if you can take whatever it is, it's 20 steps, 
20 heavy steps off him where he's having to work and just go down the other end, stand on the elbow, let's initiate the offense. I think that's kind of the, the, the solution to this algorithm of I need him to be in rhythm, but I don't need him to play heavy minutes on his legs, on his, on his knees, on his entire body. But I still have to have his offense because otherwise, yeah. final couple of minutes of games, we're falling flat. The offense disappears. Yeah, and I think you saw, I think it was in the Brooklyn game, I noticed it really a lot with Brunson when he was playing. Uh, you know, there were some offense possessions where Luka just didn't touch the ball, and yep. that's great. Ta- he's literally taking a possession off, which is, you want to see that. Right. So Brunson's initiating it, something happens, maybe he touches it once, but it's not a, as you were saying, an overtaxed possession. And so he's in the game, but it's not a hard minute. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can put him on the least effective player on the other side, so he's kind of taking that side off a little bit. Um, you know, I think what they're finding is, and you're seeing this with Houston and Harden, um, you know, the double teams, the traps, you saw it in Toronto, you know, pick you up full court, all of that. That's just going to continue to happen. In the playoffs, that's going to happen the whole time. Oh, I mean, yeah. We're seeing the fourth now. That's going to be the whole time in the playoffs. So, yes, he's a great passer. He's a better passer than Harden. But you're going to need additional playmaking. You can't just have four shooters out there. Mm-hmm. So that's where you see, you know, Brunson, Wright, some Berea, to help take that burden off right. so that somebody else can play make as well as just, you can't just have, you know, four shooters works, but a lot of times the way the defenses are going to play, you're going to need somebody else who can make mm-hmm. a play. Yeah, that's, that was going to be my next question is, okay, what, I think we've all pinpointed that on nights that we play pretty good teams or even teams that just, like, I don't consider Charlotte a good team, but they're a good shooting team whenever they want to be and they play hard, they play all the way through games. Um, I don't know if I'd put the Bulls in that classification, but whenever you play... They play hard, though. They play hard, but it feels like right now on most nights, whenever it's a fair shake going into a game, we have a 45-minute offense. It's great for the first 45 minutes, then you get to the final three, and if we're not up by double digits, it just feels like there's a a log tied to our leg, and we're just kind of dragging along, and everyone's kind of staying around watching Luca and... We're just desperate for that secondary playmaker. And some nights, some dudes have stepped up. I mean, Dodo, it's not necessarily playmaking, but he's nailed some clutch threes that have kept things at arm's length in a handful of games. Last night, I felt like Maxi made a couple of big plays late. Um, but they're just desperate, so thirsty for that second playmaker whenever it is three minutes left on the clock, four-point game. So is that your – is that – is that what you think the solution is, is roll one of those? Or, I mean, is the solution even on this roster right now in this current configuration? Um, you know, I think initially we said in the summer before the free agency that that's, you know, they needed another playmaker. Rick likes multiple playmakers. That's the way his offense works. Um, and so, you know, and they, they were thinking DeLon Wright would start. He fits better with the second unit. So they kind of put in, you know, Hardaway and a shooter or Dodo or somebody like that. Um, and so they kind of, and then when the offense was working, and it has, and the offense is, like you say, historically great, but as you said, in crunch time, that bogs down. Look at Houston the past few years, right? It, it's all good until the playoffs hit, right. and San Antonio or Golden State, whoever, starts locking in, and if it's just one person that you're so dependent on, you can throw the bodies at it, and right. yes, like I say, Luca's a great passer, but you need more than just, you know, if they're staying home on shooters, then... Mm-hmm who's got, you know, how right. are you going to make that offense work? So I think, yes, they, they 
probably ideally would have a playmaker at the two. Um, and they're going to, you know, listen, we can, you know, trade deadlines 30 days away. I mean, they're going to, without question, scour the market, whether it's a big man, whether it's another three and D, whether it's kind of a playmaking guard. Um, but I think that is, you know, two things. One is as Luca develops, you know, how is he going to figure out the different looks that are coming? Blitzes, double teams, traps, all that. Uh, and how are the other players going to respond? Because you're right. I think a lot of times there's a tendency to stand around and watch mm-hmm. and just say, oh, he's got it, or I just stay here and I, l- I wait for the ball or what have you. And, and those players are going to have to step up and do more, cutting, you know, whatever. Um, and I think that's been some of the problem down the stretch. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that is really the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, to me, it feels like, when we get in those late game situations, we're either going to win by ten, or we're going to be in a one point game. Right. Down and, to the end. and you know, and the defensive side is a part of it too, right? Yeah. So oh, for we're, sure. We're yeah. We've been hovering around fourteen, fifteen, sixteen on D. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you can get to ten, you don't even have to get a top ten. Just get to ten. Right. And with our offense, then you're a team that's not just making the playoffs and winning around. You're making some serious noise at right. that point. Um, but that is a matter of just you know locking down little extra hustle you know they just they don't generate turnovers yet and they've got to work yeah. on deflections which then lead to turnovers you know the rebounding's great but mm-hmm. uh they just got to get you know a little more active to you know you know chris paul can't go for 12 points right yeah. in the last four minutes and you lose 14 too so absolutely it, it's a combination of just a little bit few more percentage points better like three points a game on defense mm-hmm. and then figuring out the ways to unlock because right now on the offensive side, like I say, it's, it's who's hot. So you've got Luca and when Porzingis is healthy and then it's like, all right, who's playing better, Max or Pal? Okay. You're in there. And then is it Hardaway or Seth? Okay. You're in there. Right. And then it's usually Finney. Yeah. That, that, those are the choices, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe Brunson or Wright, if he's hot and you take mm-hmm. away one of those other guys, Yeah. that's kind of the matrix that you have to choose from. And so, you know, that's what you have. And mm-hmm. until, you know, unless you make a move, you've got to figure out, how to anticipate what the defenses are going to throw at you and, you know, play, start playing playoff level basketball now down the stretch. Mm-hmm. To be the greatest offense in the history of the NBA and then be 28th in clutch situations. Right. 26th, I think, on offense, or you may have the updated numbers, and they're like 16th on defense, but I think overall they're. I think you're right, 28th, 26th overall. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that doesn't, obviously it doesn't cut. And, right. and like I say, if you're only being blown out in two games all year out of right. 26, just imagine if you increase that oh just at league average, yeah. you would probably have another four or five wins on your ledger. Yeah, yeah. And it's which like, puts you in the home court. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're the top, you're fighting with everybody. You're not just 10 games over, you're right. top two, top two-ish. And So, yeah, that's, you know, I think that is the, you know, what Rick and, and that's what, having Rick is so great that he's going to, he'll figure something out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's had to tinker quite a bit with Tim out and KP out. And you always have to, for me, I'm always, I sit down to watch a game and I know who's, I know who's playing. I know who's going to start. I know what's been happening leading into that game. And if we're two starters down, I mean, any game you win with two starters out to me is cake. You're just, it's a gift unless it's one of the bottom of three teams in the league that are, clearly trying to get number one pick or something. Um, so I, you always got to keep that in mind, even if it is Charlotte, even if it is XYZ team. If you're down two starters, 
and you're going to have to play extended minutes, and your rotations are going to be weird, and you're asking Justin to play 25 minutes, and he goes 0 of 6 from 3, and then Ray goes 1 of 5. They're young, and that's yeah. what inconsistency happens with young players. Right. And you're asking people that are rotation players to then start playing starters minutes, and that's difficult. Right. But, you know, one of the key things I think that's come out of this is that all the Porzingis bashing can stop. Yeah. Because oh what he gives you rebounding-wise yeah. is essential on yeah. this team. The and defense see, is so different. When he has – this was before the injury. He was – the opposing field goal percentage at the rim against him was about 47%, which yeah. is – That's crazy. Lower than what Gobert was last year when he won Defensive Player of the Year. Yep. Uh, the block shots, the overall presence at the rim, the rebounding. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even – I haven't even talked about the offensive side. Right, right. So – we we now see how how essential he is. Mm-hmm. There were 24 uh, points scored on dunks in the game against mm-hmm. Chicago. 22 of them were by Chicago. Yeah. Daniel Gafford nearly ripped the rim off a couple times. That doesn't times. happen when Porzingis is in there. Yeah. yeah so it's, he's essential to what they're doing defensively to, to, mm-hmm. to at least stay league average. And then what he gives you offensively in terms of the spacing, the shooting, the scoring, all of that, yep. uh, the safety valve you can go in the post, you know, we can stop yeah. worrying about Porzingis. Right. And all the preconceived notions that you might have about what a four or five or power forward center is supposed to do, it just take that and throw it in the trash. It's not the game anymore. It's not. No, Rick, it's not at Rick all. Rick said that very clearly. It's yeah. not a post-up game right. anymore. Listen, if you have Embiid, sure, yeah, you give it to him right. you know, more than you would at the three-point line. But, you know, that's not Porzingis' game. Right. He can do it if mm-hmm. you need it with, when he's on the second team or whatever. Great. If you, yep. need, if you just need a bucket because you're cold from the arc, great. Mm-hmm. Go get it and get it. Right. Set up a mismatch. But otherwise, what he's able to do is drag that big player out. That's exactly right. Open the, open the bucket up. Mm-hmm. Passing lanes are wide open. You've got people farther out because mm-hmm. Luke is shooting from 30 feet. So you have even, you know, the defenders right. are coming to cover way out there. And we're one of the best teams at getting to the paint and, yeah. and scoring your, your buckets in there. So that's all part of that equation. Yeah. The reason – I mean, everyone keeps making this observation that, like, Luca looks quicker with his second step. And he might be. He might be a little bit quicker. But you're quicker to the basket whenever there's not a center there waiting for you. Whenever the center has been drug out 25 feet trying to guard this 7-3 right. guy that can get his shot off at any point. That's why Luca looks quicker, because the decision is easier. Right, he said that. When, you know, in Europe, they you can clog the paint. Yeah, and he he would you work in you know one on five. Right, and that's why and, his in between game is so nice, right? Yeah, because he doesn't want to get in there in the body of whoever's down there. If Stephen Adams is down there, if if you know Andre Drummond's down there, you don't have. He never wanted to do that. He never wanted to get in there. So he has this weird in between these little flip shots, these little off balance ones, and that's to me those in between decisions is. The natural growth of a point guard or a ball handler, that's something that guys like Dennis never got, right? You got the downhill speed. You got the leaping ability. You got the, okay, if my guy goes under on a screen, I can shoot a three. What makes you lethal and indefensible is that in-between decision-making. Once you get inside the three-point line, before you get to even close to restricted area, what's your decision here? Because everything happens can't so... can't do it when you're in the air. Oh, so stinking fast. Everything is just... It's it's two dribbles. You got two dribbles. Make your decision. And Luke is doing a lot of the look off. Like, yeah, I'm going to kick a corner over here and hits the guy on the wing. Or I'm looking wing. I'm going to hit corner. Or, you know what? The big man's not in here. I got somebody on my hip. What are they going to do? What's the worst they're going to do to me? Foul me? Okay, I'm going at the rack. And so people don't take into account. That's, and that's what coaching is, right? 
people make the observation of, oh, Luca looks quicker, or Luca's at the rim more. Well, that's not by accident. That's the way it's supposed to that's work. That's the way the offense has been designed. Right, with a 7-3 guy dragging people out of the rim, or out, outside the rim and outside of the paint. And then Dwight, Dwight will dive, and then he'll clear out, right? So it's not there for Dwight. He comes back out to the opposite wing, and no one can guard Luca one-on-one right now. Right. There's about two dudes in the league that can. That's why they have the greatest offense in the history of basketball. And because, you know, you see a lot of players that come out of the AAU system and all that. And Dennis was a prime example. You know, they've won on their athleticism. Right. They're just freaks. And so they, oh, well, I'll just dump. You know, remember, Dennis, well, I'm going to dunk over you. Right. And you can't do that in the NBA. Right. And so when that's taken away, all of a sudden it's like, well, oh, what now? And if you don't have that mental edge, right. then you're stuck. Yep. And, and Luca has it mentally, and he's also 6'8", mm-hmm. so he can see over people or see through people or, you know, all that. So that's why, you know, when you and I on draft night were doing a podcast, we mm-hmm. were begging the Mavs to do whatever it takes to, to yeah. pick him. Now, I don't yeah. think either of us thought he would be, you know, this. Right. But we, we thought maybe in seven years he oh, would yeah. be. There's, there but, was the potential for offensive basketball was of this caliber was there. Right. Like you could, you could, you could see it with the decision-making with the control. Now getting to greatest offense in the history of the league in year two, that's right. ahead of the curve for me a little bit. Um, but it's, it's spectacular thus far, and it takes every little bit of his history and of his growth curve to make this right now. And, and he's now at another pivot point because right. now he's, like I say, he's going to get – these defenses king on them. See, the Mavs mm-hmm. aren't sneaking up on anybody. Anymore. No. You know, no. that past few years, it's like, oh, Mavs on a Wednesday or mm-hmm. Monday in Chicago. They're now getting everybody's best. Yep. And so they're getting defenses focused on them, and that's, that is now, you know, coming into this summer, it was conditioning, it was, you know, developing the floater, the left hand. That's all great. The next level now is how to respond to these new defenses. Right that are focused on him and how can he make the other players then, you know, lift their game because he, he can't, you know, listen, last night against Chicago, he can just ball out and make it happen. Right. And Chris Dunn tries to lock you down. You can, right. he's just going to win that. But nine out of 10 times that can't happen every night. Right. right? Yeah. Well, the so whole game is going to be the final two minutes. People now. be able to do it. And, and, and like I say, it, it's Rick, it's the other players, but it's also him figuring out, okay, what can I do to, you know, what's my 2.0 to, to get past that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he has some little tricks that he does. He just hasn't done it consistently enough in crunch time. He's settled for step backs. I think he, because he's, he's so competitive, like, he feels like, well, I, I can do it. Yeah. Like, oh, I've, I've oh, got this. There's now, never it's not any that he doubt. doesn't trust his teammates. It's just he, he's like, I got this. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times the smart play is to, you know, pass it off to somebody else but the question is you know are those guys gonna be able to convert right and so yeah. well that's that's part of what makes him great right it's kind of like the the yelling at the refs thing because people are always man he gets really upset with the refs that's not fun to watch like that's he needs to chill it with the refs and i'm like that's what gets him in his zone like yeah. when he when he starts going to the basket and he's yelling at himself and hyping himself up and thinks he got fouled like whenever he feels like he got gypped on a call i know he's about to heat up like right. it, sometimes it can boil over a little bit where he says the wrong thing uh, to a referee, and I'm assuming half the time he's speaking in another language, so the ref's like, "What?" Right. Um, but that's part of what creates those incredible moments. It's he feels like he's been 
gypped and he knows he is doing he knows he can do whatever he wants on a basketball court like the the confidence is there and that's that's a great trick like i don't think anybody's talked enough about the team as a whole the people next door growing a superstar molding him into a superstar this stinking fast because you can be super talented you can be the tallest dude you can be fast you can do all these things that say you should be one of the best players in basketball but to keep his confidence that high every single night and feed off his competitiveness in a positive way always is so difficult to funnel that down to here's 48 minutes of basketball here's a a structure you got to operate inside of and it's it's such a weird mind body correlation that gets you going and I don't think people have said enough about this is the growth of a superstar. This is the growth and the development of the most popular player on the planet. And that's insane to me because it's right, it's, it's right next door. It's in a freaking brewery. It's the guy I get to see every day. But to realize, like, they've taken maybe not every single step has been perfect, but they've clearly taken the right steps in growing one of the best players on the planet right now. It's crazy to me. And it's been faster than what was expected. So you've got, you know, the support systems that have to be in place from the health aspects, the, you know, uh, okay, Nike's now involved and Jordan Brand, but, how, you know, how do you, how do you uh, manage that so it's not too much of his time, you know? from the media you know the media wants every time there's an HTV they want that sit down well you're not oh, going to get it you're going to film five of these at once yep. chop it up and do it five different times you know? yep. so because he can't you know you can get so distracted with everything else you know, Dirk was a guy that he didn't want to do any of that right he, didn't right. Want, he went like he had an American Express deal for like three or four years other than right. that he wasn't going to go film commercials or go to China for a month in the summer he had mm. no interest in that so he just said no. Well, you know, Luca wants some of that. He wants the signature shoe and all that. But, but it is finding the balance of that. It's, mm. it's putting the support system around him, to so the off court is not a distraction. But then the on court can be developed in a team way. So it's not just, you know, him and everybody's got to mm. figure it out around him. Uh, and you you talk about the arguing and all that. You know, he comes from Europe. I mean, go watch European soccer. They're arguing every call. Yeah. And, and that's what he's used to. You fight for everything in that league over there. Yep. And so that's just his personality and what he's used to. And that, that's the norm. Mm-hmm. And he's also used to getting beat up because they beat the crap out of you in that league. Now, what you're seeing now is Rick coming out and, and yep. kind of Phil Jacksoning saying, hey, he's getting beat up and just continuing to plug that into the ref's heads. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as he's getting this superstar status you're going to start to see him get more calls. Yep. And, and as it's a focused effort of Rick and Mark and other people, instead of him to say, listen, he's getting beat up, then you're, you know, it, it, it has to be something that then becomes a ref focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And every thing that goes, I mean, thought goes into Rick calling out the fact that he's getting hammered every time he goes to the basket. And Rick's right? got enough cred, you know, Mark will do it some, but Mark talks about a thousand things. Right. And so, Rick, you know, he's head of the coaches association. He, he, he's not known as somebody who just wildly bitches about stuff. Mm-hmm. So when he's coming out saying something, then it, it, it has a lot of weight and people in the league office or the refs or whatever are going to be like, okay. Mm-hmm. And he's very calculated just as he was defending Porzingis about the post-ups. It's very calculated. This yep. is too. He's right about both. 
and he's doing it in a measured way that you're going to have to take seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's thought put into every step of his development. And if you're not on the road all the time or with the team constantly every day, you don't you don't see these things. But it's it's him pregame warming up. It's Coach Mosley, the defensive coordinator, like talking s to him the whole time, just to because get him that in his fires zone, him up, yeah. gets him fired up. And then it's JJ messing with him whenever they're shooting around. And it's him being competitive when he's shooting half court shots. And so it seems so simple that all these decisions stem from this one thing that I'm about to say, but I think it's, I think it's just simple. Make sure he's having fun. Right. Joy. Make likes sure to play with joy. Make sure he's having fun doing this. And that should be, I mean, that seems like an obvious goal, but a lot of times it's not. I mean, like the bulls yesterday, oh. they, they, we were, we met with some of their people from their front, not their front office, but their, their digital team. Like they, they head to the arena, like, at four on like a seven thirty game day. Well, they have punch clocks in their in their yeah. practice facility, yeah. like literally like what I used to do at the car wash when right. I was sixteen, <laughs> like a timesheet. Yeah. And and they almost had a rebellion a couple right. of months ago from the players, like because Boylan has yeah. come in and and just you know doing push ups instituted stuff. <laughs> this college type atmosphere, yeah. and you know that that works for a little while, but that's not what you can do. No. And so yeah, they're they're exhausted. Yeah. And they're beat down and you can't that doesn't last. And right. so yeah, you have to play with he loves to play with flair, joy. That's part mm. of his appeal, right? right? It's not just this robotic kind of, you know, Kobe type person. He mm-hmm. plays with this, you know, he's looking at his hand because it's so hot and right. all this stuff. Yeah. And, and but then you have to balance it somewhat with well he's going to make a crazy pass he's Brett Favre sometimes it's going to be an, yeah okay fine that, that's going to happen every once in a while I'll live with that mm-hmm. as long as I'm getting you know because this I don't want to tame it so much that I don't get the spectacular right. stuff too yeah you can't take the joy right out of him and the offense has to be built so that he can do it that yeah. way yeah it's I mean it's it's him talking crap to Shaq Harrison last night at the end of the third quarter did you see that mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's a perfect example to me because that's not who he is I mean he's kind of shy and he's kind of reserved but when he gets on the court right it's all about having fun it's all about making the most fun play and a lot of times that gets a little sideways late in game situations where it's decision making type thing but for the most part he channels that very well and for all these decisions that they make on okay and I know they go through these like okay how do we treat this type of travel how do we treat his stretching like does he stretch for every game does he do the bands before every game like every single moment that he's with the team or leading up to a seven thirty or whatever time the game is is intentional and oh yeah like, i remember talking to steve nash years ago and he said you know my goal every game day is to be at peak level at seven thirty. so mm-hmm. from the time i wake up yeah to seven, you know, when I sleep, when I eat, when I work out, all every, you know, medicine, whatever he needs to go through, it is optimal 100% at 7:30, and, yep. and that's how it's measured. I mean, you know, Dirk used to always eat pasta and chicken, you know, mm-hmm. at lunch. Well, when there was a noon game, he literally would would have to force it down his gullet <laughs> at 7:30 in the morning because that's, yeah. you know, the carbs that he needed, right? To, you know, how many hours before tip that he needed to be at peak condition. And so, yeah, it's the same thing there, you know, people, and you see it now in the basketball ops side, people think, Oh, it's players, coaches, that's it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the, it's the health staff. Yeah. It's the advanced scouts who come in and say, okay, well, here's what the opposing yeah. teams are doing. It's DK. It's DK on the, on the head side. Yeah. It's, it's even higher than health in terms of, okay, what is your sleep patterns? Mm-hmm. You know, what are you doing on that side? It's the off the court. Okay. I'm going to limit the media, but just enough. Cause I know you mm-hmm. want it, but not too much where you're right. beating down. It's, it's, 
you know, all of that, player development, people mm-hmm. coming in, like although Moses' assistant coach, but guys that just work with them on a shot or certain moves after practice, like all of that together is yeah. part of what makes it hum. Right. And that's so essential. Yeah. And it's even, you know, advan- uh, international scouts or other guys that are getting, you know, people from the G League or whatever to come in and play. You know, you look at Finney and Max and all these undrafted free agents. All of that is part of the, the calculus that makes a winning team. It's not just how good a player is and what a head coach does. Yeah. I mean, they need to at – the, at some years from now, they need to um, write a book on grooming a superstar. This is how you do it. And it can – I mean, it, it can be – you can get to the finite details of – Okay, don't make him do more than one media thing a right. week. Like it's there, there are rules. I mean, it's not quite Jordan rules, but it's there rules to to follow of how to treat a kid that you think can potentially be this level of player. And I think Dirk probably put most of him in place <laughs> whenever he was here. Um, and it's so weird that we go straight from handing the baton that quickly. It's crazy. I mean, I, I remember saying, I think the year before Luca got here, I was like, you know, we may never see a player like this in our, in yeah. our lifetimes. Right. That is the sixth leading scorer of all time. And it's going to have a statue and all, you know, we've already, we're already yeah. hopefully at the beginning of that. We're the there. very next year, it, it's, it's yeah. insane that you have probably, if you look at every, everybody who's kind of prognosticated the 2020s and obviously we don't know who's 10 years old right now, but right. Uh, it's Giannis and him in terms of the best players of the 2020s. Oh yeah. Period. Yeah. We spent so long trying to convince the world that Dirk was one of the five best players alive. In Luca's second year, he is one of the five most popular players alive. Jerry West just like, said no yesterday what. that he will be better than Dirk. Jerry West said That's that. That's crazy. And, uh, you know, it, it's he's – I think if you're starting a franchise right now, he's it's, it's Giannis and him. Yeah. Considering age and everything, like, mm-hmm. that's it. That's the list. Yeah. And he's a definite top five. I think, in my opinion, he's probably second in the MVP voting, yeah. to be honest. I, LeBron, you know, has AD with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, l- l- you know, um, Harden is – Right. N- his stats are, frankly, as always, scoring more. He's not as good of a passer. He's not as good as a rebounder. He doesn't do anything on defense. Right. Um, so, you know, that's just amazing. He's going to yeah. be an all-star starter. And, and that's not even – he would be an all-star starter without the fan vote. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it all happens so fast – that we're all just adjusting our expectation meter as the weeks go on, right? And the fans are, but so is, as you mentioned, the development of the so is the, is the team, right? right? Now it's like, okay, we had a three- to five-year plan. Now it's like, well, do, are we buyers now? Mm-hmm. Are, you know, should we – wow, the West is kind of open. I mean, maybe Clippers, one of those guys gets hurt, and later, like, you know, should we make moves, yeah. or do we want to jeopardize – I don't want to make win-now moves and jeopardize too much right. of 2021 or what's happening, but you also don't want to just throw away great years. Mm-hmm. It's it's That's the pull right. and tug that you've got going on right now. Clippers are having some problems already. Did you see that Montrez comment from the other night? Yeah. He's like, that's a whole other issue, bud. Yeah. <laughs> what's going on in the locker room? Um, because you've got personality, you know, playoff peeves, never done anything in the playoffs, and, and yeah. Kawhi's a weirdo, and – you know, there's a lot, a lot of mouths oh, need to be fed over Pat, there. Pat Bev and Lou, Lou yeah. Will, I'm sure they're not quiet. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's a it's an interesting little little uh, nitro mix that they have going, where it's just like just enough of this, just enough of this, just enough of this, and then. And the good news is, Luca, you know, what, up on you. what impressed me so much was when he grabbed that game ball 
the other night and gave it to Josh Reeves yeah. at the other game. Like he yeah. made a point to go to the refs, say, I want the game ball for this guy. Mm-hmm. That's leadership. Yeah. So now, you know, when Dirk left, a lot of the questions were, what's the leadership vacuum going right. to be? Who's going to take that? Because we really don't have, well, JJ is great. You know, you don't have a, a vet who's playing a lot that, mm-hmm. that is commanding the room. Right. You know, all the old guy, Wes and, and those guys are all gone. Mm-hmm. So he's now, you know, they're looking to him because he's so good. Mm-hmm. But at 20 and with the language barrier and all that, maybe he's not comfortable with it. But those kind of things are so huge. Mm-hmm. Just doing that for a young kid. Yeah. All the other players, you know, when he thanked Finney Smith at the end of the Laker win. Yeah. Like all those kinds of things you look at and you're like, okay. Mm -hmm. he's getting it he's now taking the locker room Mm -hmm. and and that is just those are really good the chemistry around the team is really good he's organizing dinners on the road people and you see that because you're on the road that's where the bonding takes place when you're you're at home you you go to practice you go back to your family or whatever you've got going on the road you're that's it. You go to dinner with each other. You, you screw around. You know, mm-hmm. you just, you're on the bus. You, know, you talk to Nash and Dirk. What do they miss the most? The bus, yeah. the locker room, yeah. the meals, you know, all those little things. I, I flew up to Memphis for the last road game last year just to have dinner, Dirk's last road dinner, mm-hmm. because it was just like those yeah. were cool moments that you don't get. Yeah. And, and I've talked to Dirk. Like what, some of the things he misses the most is just – BSing, you yeah. know, we were at a party over the break, and he was—you could see—he was just like loving it because he doesn't get that every day anymore. Yeah. And and so knowing that that's going on, that bonding is happening, mm-hmm. is, is absolutely essential because if you see a situation like Philly where they all don't like each other, right? People say, "Oh, you can win anyway." It makes it a lot harder. Oh, infinitely. I mean, just just think about traveling, uh, however many nights it is a year with somebody you don't like. Yeah, especially when it's only. 12 to 15 of you yeah exactly and a football team okay you can avoid a guy yeah absolutely well you're, you're, you're in your position group right and then you have your coaches in football it's like okay there are 10 offensive linemen there's three offensive line coaches you're your own little pack there right this thing like no man if you don't get you can't escape no you cannot you everything you do when you walk, i mean i have when i was there i mean every if i wore different socks one day yeah that becomes a 30 minute thing in the locker room yeah. right and that's yeah. just the way it is in there because it's yeah. so small and so intense and yeah and the, and it's it's you know it's a tight bond there yeah. and and that translates because then you have trust mm-hmm. with who your fellow player is and, and, and you keep it i think what's good is that lucas kept the same kind of mindset that dirk had which was it's a loose locker room but it's a hard-working locker room yeah right? no cell phones you work hard you get there on time you stay late and, and it's the same kind of atmosphere that it's not this kobe kind of oh we're all walking on eggshells mm-hmm. right and right. we don't you know it's just uh, yeah. mamba and forget that right you, you can have fun but you can have the standard high where not only do i enjoy being with you but i know you're doing the work so that you're going to hit that shot when i pass it to you. you're going to defend that guy mm-hmm. the way we've taught yeah yeah and i mean whether you like it or not those people are your your family for Without at least question. for at least nine the next nine months you can you can not get along with any of them. You can pull a Kobe. You can do your isolation thing, which honestly is easier. It's easier just to everybody go away. Like, I'm just going to do my thing. I don't have to worry about building a relationship with Smush Parker or, you know, the third or fourth guy over there. It's more difficult. It takes more time to build healthy relationships with people and trust with people. But whenever you get there, you get a team that likes everybody, likes each other, can travel well, hangs out together has some some form of leadership that's not corrosive and i think behind the scenes luca is still or is already the the voice 
that decides things. When you go in the locker room, I feel like KP feels like it's his duty to take a lot of that heat off of him and talk every night. Because people still want to hear what KP has to say, right? He's an interesting guy. He's still got a huge name. Um, he handles it very well. Like, even when he plays not his best game, he'll sit there and smile and answer your dumb question that he's answered six times already um, and just be a swell dude about it. Um, so I feel like that kind of works perfectly in a uh, – I feel like DeAndre tried to do that last year and not quite as – Nobody respected him enough. Right. To, not In a not fully genuine way. Right. Right. DeAndre, it's almost like a – it wasn't a – let me get in front of the cameras for these guys so they don't have to say the tough stuff. It was, uh, there's a camera. Look at me. Look at me. I'm on camera. And Porzingis has had a very, you know, two things. One is, you know, w- when you're winning, everything's easy. And, right. of course, you get along. But the value of all that developing in the relationships is when times get tough and you don't just start turning on each other, right? Mm-hmm. And as far as KP, you know, he's had a, listen, this has been a, a weird transition. A, getting through the injury. And, and playing and getting himself into shape and then being asked to play a completely different style where yeah. he's shooting nine threes a game and not three and he's mm-hmm. being asked to be out there and, and, and adapting to it. And so going through all that and then also not being the man. Right. Right. And so, you know, the fact that he is doing all the, you know, answering everything and saying all the right things and, and just progressing. Uh, that's why I said, it, you know, that plus the, you know, we kind of know what we have when you, it's like breaking up with a girlfriend. You're like, oh, yeah, sh- it, the grass isn't green around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think hopefully this quells all the the concerns about the way he's played. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't feel like the uh, the Charlotte game honestly didn't stick with me that much. Like the Knicks game early in the season kind of, it burned. I feel like we needed like a, a little bit of a... Um, therapy sesh after that and me and Bobby got together and just talked about all the things we were upset about for like an hour on a podcast but um the Charlotte game I'm not gonna say it's ever good to lose to Charlotte on a on a Monday night or whenever it was um at home whenever you take a eight point lead into the final two minutes but to me it is important for them to know that they can there is a next level you can play damn near perfect sometimes. You That potential is in there. To let them know that not everything's great right now. Clutch offense is still not working perfectly. Despite all the success and all the attention we're getting. Um, all-star voting. Ratings. People coming out to the games. People wanting more access to Luka than ever before. Uh, than probably any player we've ever had ever before. But to let them know that that's not the bar for success successes is wins and losses and championships and playoff series victories and just basically a slap in the face of your crap does stink sometimes sure and and i think yeah, the Knicks games didn't bother me as much because i think they just had a little spur in their butt to play against Kristaps. yeah especially the one up there so i i kind of that was their super bowl so i kind of wrote that off mm-hmm. uh but yeah i agree with you 100 percent on the charlotte and the lessons from that and i think rick even alluded to it like you know, they need to realize, like I said, we're getting people's best and that you, you have to play 100% every night. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Luca does. Yep. You know, he, he's a player that if he's setting the tone, you know, he doesn't take nights off. He doesn't believe in that. Right. And so everybody else has got to, and it's hard when you're playing Charlotte, you know, on a Monday and, and or whatever it is to, um, 
you know, to get up for that. Mm-hmm. But you, you have to. That That's just the way it is now. You're, you can't, you know, they're coming after you. And so, yeah, I think, listen, uh, you know, it's not the end of the world that you lose a game like that if, if it's then used properly to mm-hmm. say, okay, yeah, you know what, my minutes are going to go down if I'm not making that extra effort on D or cutting the way I need to or getting, you know, fighting for that rebound or boxing out or whatever mm-hmm. it is because those are the little things that make a difference in a one-possession game. Right. Right? Yeah. Especially as we've talked about how close all these games are. Mm-hmm. We're either winning by 10 or they're down to stretch. And right. So um, those, are the, those are the little things that make a difference in a playoff series. And, and you're right. I think that, that you know, using that, uh, and, and Carlisle has, I think, handled this year really well because it's not you're not blowing up after something like that. Mm-hmm. He's saying, "All right, you know, I'm not happy, but where do we need to then take this and grow from it?" Because right. he does see the bigger picture that this is a, you know, see we want to be at optimal performance at the middle of April. Mm-hmm. We want the rotation set. We want people at peak. We want roles defined. We want people playing at you know 100% effectiveness by then so everything up to then because we you know are going to make the playoffs let's just use that and try to win every game but build 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 mm-hmm. till then and, and right now we're in in the middle of that journey mm-hmm. and it's it's almost a jump from from a player's perspective of running out there and getting developmental minutes or getting a look to I have to give him a reason to play me tonight and that's from, I mean, the one person I think of whenever that happens is, is, is Jalen. Whenever I say things like that, I'm like, I love Jalen. It's one of my, the dude I'm probably closest to on dude, the team. I'm, I'm president of the Jalen fan club. Yeah, yeah. like he's, he's going to have a great NBA career. But right now, this season, I don't think he's playing up to his exact standards or his expectations for this season. And he's probably thinking from a point of he has to have a reason to play me tonight. I have to show something. I have to make a play because he he's not playing quite like the Jalen that we know right now, right? A lot of weird. He's passes. in his head a little bit. Yeah, he's 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 got to break out of this little funk. And good thing is he has time to do it, and he has the support to do it. But and he's a guy that can do it. It's not like right. what it was with Dennis, where you're like, I don't know that he's ever going to figure this out. Right. It is okay. He's going to get there. Right. And I think that's why Rick is hard on him because mm-hmm. he deserves that that to get better. You know, yeah. a lot of like. Rick is looking at it and saying, okay, uh, you just made a mental mistake either yeah. in practice or in the game, so I don't, you know, sit over there for a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try these other things, and then I'll try you. Or if I need a spark, I'll go here or mm-hmm. whatever. And he does that with every player. He knows how that player has shot in practice, how he's, how he's played in games, what mistakes, what, you know, what they've taught him, and is he making that rotation or making that play or whatever. And, and then it goes back to everybody else in ops, right? Okay, Don Cox team, you know, talk to Jalen and say, okay, you know, Let's take what Rick said and how can you process that that works for you. Mm-hmm. Player development, how, then how can we then on the court work on that more? Mm-hmm. Video guys, can you cut me a piece that I can look at at home and start studying that more? Yep. And all of that goes into place that Jalen yep. can then help make right. it click. Right. In the end, he probably is going to be better for it. His for career sure. will be better for it. Next year, I guarantee you that guy goes into this offseason and trains like a psychopath. I've heard from a couple of people in the organization that, you know, he's the future leader of this team, whether that means, you know, I'm not saying best player, but just right in terms of somebody you're going to look up to and say, this guy's mm-hmm. got it. And I'm going to listen to what he says. Like yeah. he's all character. He's got the skill set. Yeah. He's 
beginning of his second year. He's going to yeah. get there. Yeah. And oh. I have no, you know, just like I say with Dennis, like you can look at a guy and say, okay, you're going to get there. You may be in a rough patch. Mm-hmm. Or, man, I don't have faith that you're going to be able to pull out of this. And, and I'm not, I don't have any concerns about him no. at all. all but you're right. You, you have to keep prodding and poking mm. and, and reinforcing what, you know, the role you want him to play. If he's the mm. secondary playmaker or anchoring that second unit or what have you, you know, here's the roles and responsibilities may be different than you've ever played at Villanova or even last year, but this is what I want from you. And, and I've got to get you into that. Mm-hmm. His, his instincts are always correct and they're always genuine too, right? He doesn't just say the right thing because he knows he needs to say the right thing or make the right decision because he's expected to make the right decision like that's what he wants to do and it's 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 so weird that like the uh the analogy to fred van vliet is right there because they look the same they're the same size they're the same position but to me it's like jalen can go through a rough patch but then say game six of a playoff series this year jalen will knock down five threes or make some plays exactly like fred did last year to lead them to a championship who i think he went over I think in their second round from three, Fred Fred did. And then he could have been finals MVP. Yeah, Siakam right? struggled early in his career. I mean, you said those, those are the ones where you look back and he's, you know, he's an 18-point, you know, 10 guy, and you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, okay. Wow, yeah. And, like, and so that's the buildup, and I think we want instant gratification a lot. Oh, but 100%. this guy's a second-round pick, and, yeah. you know, that's just – if he's a – solid backup point and maybe you know secondary playmaker on a starting unit and that's what he is but he's consistent and solid because coaches want consistency mm-hmm. problem is young players aren't consistent yeah. so you've just got to get them through that and, mm-hmm. and continuing to preach them the habits that they need to develop the right way to eat you know they want to party okay you can party but party yeah. three times a week you know, <laughs> right. whatever it is to get to that level yeah yeah i, I mean i and whenever you have guys that you are invested in long term, like I know Jalen's a second round pick, they don't have there's not a ton of money tied into him. There's not a ton of like equity tied into him. But I think their faith and their future is deeply tied into Jalen long term. I think they always think about what's make the best decision to make him better two years from now, three years from now. And they've done that for with Maxi, with Dorian, with Dwight already, right? Where it's like I'm going to play this guy through this rough patch, even though Dwight's killing us on defense this season. All of them. Look at those are all. Look, Dwight was a second round guy. He was a throw in in the Rondo deal. Right. Maxie, I didn't mean this season. I meant previous seasons for Dwight. Yeah, whenever yeah, he no, wasn't I, as good defensively. Maxi was undrafted. Finney undrafted. Yeah. Uh, Barea undrafted. You know, those are these are all guys that you have to. And not all of them hit, right? But, yeah. But you know, once they have belief in a guy and they see that potential, then yeah, they're they're developing him the right way and. I think they, they see that in Brunson. They see a long-term future, and that's why they want to invest in it that mm-hmm. way. Um, I had a conversation last night with a buddy after the game um, about Rick and the question he posed, someone that's not close to the team, just someone that's a fan that watches the games. He's like, man, credit to Rick for changing so much of his style to fit with Luca, to let Luca do whatever he wants to kind of let go of the reins because there are some stories throughout the years of Rick wanting to control offense almost every possession by possession by step, right? I mean, there's a famous Jason Kidd story. There's a famous Chauncey Billups story, I think, um, of butting heads with point obviously guards. Obviously Rondo. Yeah, obviously Rondo. Some, some, people, some people have become more notable than others. Um, 
But to me, it's almost like, I feel like Rick made this change like maybe a couple of years ago where he decided we're going to shoot a lot of threes. We're going to get super modern. We're going to play even futuristic basketball. And I feel like it's not even maybe personality wise. It is a shift for him to let go of it sometimes and say, play through it or I'm not going to call play run flow, do whatever you want. I trust you with this, but I feel like he's always kind of had in his back pocket over there in the shelf, this binder that says, Whenever I do get, the next time I do get a ball handler that can be an offensive engine for a team and shot create, this is what I want to do. He kind of has kept these notes, right? And it hasn't been there the last couple of years. What we hoped Dennis would be really didn't ever develop. And before that, it was older point guards, starting Mike James, trading for Rondo, that type of stuff. And I guess it's a long way to ask, do you think this is – just a scheme thing with Rick that he's always wanted to kind of try out or he's kind of been building towards for the last couple of years and his evolution of what wins basketball games? Or do you think it's like a personal, he's had a shift in belief about how offensive basketball runs? I think it's a little both. I think that, you know, when we had Dirk there in his prime, there was a certain way you wanted to run things. And so he's very adaptable to, the personnel he can figure out how to maximize the personnel he has like when Harrison Barnes was here well we didn't really have a lot of talent so you had to kind of dump it into him slow the game down not really go for offensive boards because we you know our transition D was so bad that we needed to get back and so you muck it up you slow it down you had a lower scoring team he didn't really like that but that's what we had and that's what you had to do um, as far as point guards go, you know, he's got to trust you and he's got to trust that he can hand you the keys, right? It's like your kid driving at 15. Do you, you know, if you're conscientious and you've done everything else and I'm going to trust you to do that. Well, he didn't trust Rondo. He didn't like the way Rondo was blowing off his calls. He didn't trust Dennis, but he trusts that Luca can do it the right way. And so he's willing to give him the offense and run flow. I mean, this team basically runs hammer and, Pick and, top pick and roll, high pick and roll. That, that's it, right? And then, and that's why he likes it. He likes kind of set plays into flow. But now you can just kind of go into flow. Right. And, and he wants to play that way. And so he's also, I think the third thing is that he's embraced analytics a lot more. So he knows that, and it started at the beginning of last year after the years of kind of dumping into Harrison. Once we got Luke and Dennis and, and said, okay, we're going to embrace a bit more of this you know, three and layup style. And so when Porzingis comes in, let's use him that way. I've got Luca. I know what I have there. And so I know what other people need to do. I know my role man. I know you guys are going to be the three. You may need to cut. You need to bring people out farther. And so I think it's a combination of, A, trusting Luca, which, you know, listen, at the beginning of last year when he's throwing some balls away and all that, you know, it, it's he said openly, I'm, i got to balance that and not get on him but then be willing for him to make some mistakes, just like raising a kid, right? But, and then it's, it is adapting to the players he has and then embracing the analytics. All three of those have kind of turned into what we have right now. It's, it's something they always say in, in uh, football scouting, which is don't be afraid of the young quarterback that throws interceptions. Be afraid of the one that doesn't, right? Because right? they're not trying. They're, not they're afraid to make mistakes. Right. And you don't take any chances, but you right. have to take the calculated chances. Yeah. I think the 
the thing that doesn't get talked about enough of for from Rick is I think this has always been a long term vision of he didn't know who the personnel would be three years ago of who's going to be the James Harden, who's going to be the, you know, fill in the blank um, type shot creator, playmaker. But I think he's had this vision for a long time. And I think it's crank up the three-pointers, invert the offense with a big – I mean, he's learned those tricks from from the one, <laughs> uh, Mr. Six. Um, but taking all of that and making sense of it and then getting this wild card gunslinger 6'8 point guard that just has a nuclear offensive skill set and melding that with what I'm sure he's always wanted to do, which is just open the offense the hell up and and go for it offensively. He and said they, it the other night. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you're good. And they, and they still do Rick things, which is old school Rick things, which is you know play at a slower pace. They don't really create turnovers. Um, the the connectivity between rebounding defensively and offensively and, and pace is one of those Rick signature things, right? They're always going to play a little bit slower. They're never going to give the ball up that much. But I feel like it's always been his in his back of his mind, if I have a Ferrari, like this is how I want to drive it. Right. And we don't have a Ferrari right now. We've right. got – so what do you do when – you know that you don't have the perfect Ferrari, right? The 11 team was the Ferrari because we had mm. everybody playing a perfect role. Right. And, and right now you still have maybe offense-only players, defense-only players. And so how do you compensate for that, right? Mm-hmm. Finney's not the best shooter from three. And he's getting there. Seth, maybe not the best on defense. But so what can you do to compensate? You know, because ideally you would have two-way players. But listen, not teams can't do that. Yeah. So how do you manage the cap? How do you manage how you play? And how do you adjust your scheme to fit that but i agree i think he even said it uh during the porzingis rant you know or or later uh you know right now you can't play without four shooters mm-hmm. you can't you can't play three shooters you can't yep. play two guys who can't shoot on the court at the same time and he said you're going to get to a point where you have to have five shooters. you have to play five out you yep. just have to and he already sees what the next level everybody thinks we're at the optimum bat mm-hmm. we're not we're, We've got guys in the analytics department that are running AI models to see what is the next yeah. thing. You know, when 30-foot shots came into vogue, right, mm-hmm. that, that was the next thing to drag defenders out and realize that if you shoot from 30 and it's uncovered, it's better than shooting from 24 covered, right? right. And so, the, A, the shot's easier, and B, you, the benefit of having a defender farther out. Well, then what does that mean when we're looking at players? We've got to have defenders who can go there and potentially still recover. So we yep. need longer defenders who can still shoot. So they're, they're always looking at that, too. And, yep. and he sees that down the road, but he also sees what we have and how I have to build that. And so, um, you know, that's the benefit of having a guy like him, you know, at the helm mm-hmm. that I just trust implicitly with how he's going to run the team and 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 he likes to have a a set rotation and then tinker off that Mm -hmm. right so he has a a general feel of how he wants the game to go but then somebody's not hot certain matchups dictate certain things uh i need a spark what have you and then he adjusts off of that Mm -hmm. and and, you know uh, listen he's he's in my mind one of the top guys uh you know i still like brad stevens up there in boston uh, you know, 
everybody kind of raves about Kerr. Well, he had four all-stars, you know yeah. I mean? Uh, okay. You know, Luke Walton coached that team to a 37 and four record. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what he's done with totally different teams and different styles and been able to, to compete, you know, people think, Oh, he only, you know, he doesn't like young kids. He loves a challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, he was on with uh, Norm during Normathon talking about flying and it's like, why, why would you pick that up seven years? No, yeah. I like the challenge. Like, yeah. I would never do that. Yeah. I don't want that challenge. Yeah. But he likes it. And so this challenge of having a young team and figuring this new NBA out and working with all this, he loves that. Uh, that that's what mm-hmm. gets his juices flowing. Yeah. Uh, so now that it is uh, January 7th, we're 23 and 13, yeah. right? Yeah, 23 and 13. Ten games over, so we're... We're holding on to this ga- uh, ground we gained thus far in the season, and just as we uh, addressed earlier in the in the podcast, January is just absolute BS. <laughs> A lot of weird games happen, but uh, assuming January doesn't get too weird, um, from what you've seen through uh, thirty six games, what are your expectations for the final, whatever math that is? Uh, 46 games of this season heading into the playoffs. I know some of the teams around us, some of the frontier in front of us has shifted a little bit. Um, Denver is actually playing like Denver now, and uh, the teams at the top are pretty stable. But what are your expectations for this team now that we're playing with house money? Yeah, I think you're – you're in that four, five, six, right? I think the Lakers, Clippers, and Denver will probably be the top three. And you're in that Houston. I think Utah always kind of ends the season well. Uh, and I'm fine anywhere in there because you're going to have to play one of those teams in the first round. And frankly, the only two teams I'm scared of are the Lakers and the Clippers. And we've played the Lakers really well, except yeah. for that, you know, one BS game. So, um, you know, I, I'm not afraid of Denver. And I don't really believe in them in the playoffs. Houston, obviously, I think we can go to toe-to-toe with. I'm not scared of Utah. Uh, I think we can give the Lakers a run. So, you know, this is a team that I think is going to probably play the way it's played through the rest of the year, hopefully crescendoing a little up towards the end, staying healthy, I hope. And then, you know, I think they can be a second-round team and battle in the second round with whoever they face, which is going to be, you know, if if it holds Lakers or Clippers. And, and, you know, I think that's a great way. Now, of course, you have the trade deadline. You have other things that can – can change things, you know, depending on what you want. You playmaker, wing, big. I don't know that those are significant additions. They're probably rotation additions. Um, but uh, that's kind of where I see this. And so, you know, if you're four, five, six, and you're winning a first round and you're really good in the second round, uh, then, you know, I got no issue with that. Yeah. And, and because you're building and you're, you're, you're then saying, okay, what are the – the hardest thing to get People have to remember, we rebuilt this thing in three years, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We were in the yeah. playoffs in 16. Right. And there's teams like Sacramento, Phoenix, New York, you name it, that go through a decade or more of this. We found a stud. Mm-hmm. And then you need to find his partner. Yep. We kind of have that. We have yeah. that. Now it's putting those right pieces around, right? That three, four, and five player that right. you don't need another all-star, you don't need another, you know, everybody asks, what's the third best player? No, you, you need people that play the role best. Who's the best role guy? Who's the best lockdown defender? Who's the best shooter? 
that can play the role that I need them to play around those Batman and Robin. And we've got the first two things done. We have no bad contracts on this team, period. Right? Mm-hmm. $9 million, $8 million yeah. guys, $10 million guys. No, books are clean. Uh, you've got, you know, your first round picks are in the 20s. You have them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- things we have... You know, some chips, you have exceptions and people coming off the books in the summer and things like that. So everything's trending in the right direction as long as you, you know, keep developing, as you say, your superstar in the right way, which I have no doubt they will. Um, that's kind of how I see things. I think that, you know, as a young team, they're going to they're gonna go through some Charlotte games and then they're going to surprise you and win some, you know, weird games. It, it is weird that they're so good on the road, yet... At home, it's a different story, but I yep. think there's just this, as Rick said, this feeling that, oh, well, we got the crowd, and it's fun, and it's home, and they're going to come smack you in the face if you don't watch it. Yep. And so it's, uh, but yeah, they'll probably win, you know, 52, 53, 54 games, and four, five, six, and it'll be fun. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to go up 21 games in a year, and to have a superstar stud, and a really great second guy, and solid pieces around that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the future is really, really bright. I think. I think almost no matter what, if we stay this course and just keep plowing ahead, which we are ninety nine percent chance of making the playoffs currently. Yeah, uh, I, yeah to, I mean that's according yeah. to five thirty eight projected for fifty two wins. Um, we're gonna be. I had them at forty four, and that was oh my, my most God. optimistic yes, outlook. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I was like forty four, forty five. I don't know. Let's just get above five hundred again. Let's just take that step. Um, a year ago, or 13 months ago, think about sitting here last December, last December 7th, last December 5th, and we're sitting there watching and DeAndre steal rebounds, and Dennis is uh, not getting played in fourth quarters, and, uh, you and know... He was quit the team. Yeah, exactly. Um, think about that. Think about 13 months ago, if I told you we're a 52-win team. That would that didn't seem possible, right? It didn't seem like you can make up that much ground in that short a time. And it goes to you know I talked to a scout quite a bit at the game yesterday. It goes to believing in Luca more than any other team did. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I'm convinced that if this team had the first pick, they would have picked him first. Yeah. And you know you and I talked about it that you know, <laughs> whether it was a lotto day when we dropped from three to five, mm-hmm. we're depressed because we knew how important that was, or right. draft day. You know this was one of those where because of how Giannis played out, and we p- talked to that to death. You know, Donnie said this, we're going to rue the day if we don't get this guy. And yeah. it was costly. You threw another first rounder in there. But, you know, even the wild expectations didn't see him being what he is, which is, you know, nine 30-point triple doubles when the rest of the league has eight <laughs> combined and only one player has more than one, and that's LeBron with three. Yeah. You know, but, you know, they believe that this guy had a unique skill set to be, you know, if all turned out well, what he is. Um you know, being able to put that together is just, it's, it's remarkable. And yeah, you're in, in a, a year yeah. to, to have, the, you know, we, we reset our expectation. I was talking about oh, home field, home court. We were hoping for playoffs. Oh yeah. Year. And now like we're already resetting. Right. And yeah. I think people forget that when you lose these games that maybe you shouldn't lose like a, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Put the bigger picture in play and B remember that, as you mentioned, the bucks just lost by 20 yeah. to the Spurs and this is happening around the league. So let's just, you know, uh, let's keep our heads straight, but it, it's, 
what we're seeing is is the envy of the rest of the league without yeah. question that's what i was going to say if we keep plowing on this trajectory no better no worse and it's got to be fun for you and your team to oh yeah to have this raw material to just do whatever creatively i mean Makes you know, it a lot easier. You're not, you're not selling a used car. You're selling right. a Rolls Royce. Right. I had that. I had a long conversation with Moe's about that in Oklahoma City. Um, I was like, just how good is Luca in your experience? And he's, he's like, man, he's incredibly special. I don't know what else to say. Like, all the stuff you see is real. All of it's real. Um, but my, I had a long conversation with him about whether the team's good, whether we think we've got the one whether we think we've got um, a good team, whether we think we're a 50-win team, I still have to sell the team. So do you understand how cool this year is for me? And he was like, man, I never thought about it that way. He's like, he's like, you got to sell it even if you don't believe in the guy, right? You still got to promote your players. You still got to tell people to vote for All-Star, vote Harrison Barnes for All-Star. Um, so it's just it's, – it's really fun. And even if you keep this – current trajectory which is 52 wins making the playoffs four or five seed we're gonna be one of the top three narratives best stories in the nba this season like luca's second season his second year he's not he can't drink yet right february 28th in miami is his 21st birthday oh, oh boy. <laughs> i'll be there if that's the night before the miami game yeah bet, yeah, bet against the, the mavs that's the, the next the night, night. Of, that's the night of the miami game then we fly to minnesota oh, okay, good. and then yeah. we go to chicago we were lining that up today i was like you know what his 28th his 21st birthday is the 28th that's gonna be on miami slovenian night that's gonna be so cool it's gonna yeah, be such yeah. a cool moment as long as the party's after the game <laughs> right exactly but we are currently you can't tell the story like if you're doing like you know bill simmons book of basketball or whatever and you're telling the story of what what tectonic plates shifted this year that aligned to make the future of the league the next five, ten years? We're one of the top three stories this year. Oh, without question. There is no doubt in my mind, and, which and is I, so freaking cool to me. It, yeah, and you, you get to, to ride along with that, and I think that you know even the maps, the way they're building things, now everything, especially even just the way he jumped out the gate last year, you know, it was, okay, we want the ball in his hands more, which made Dennis expendable. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, well, now it's we. Everything revolves around him, and how can we maximize what he's doing and the other players around him? And when, even when I was doing analytics back in the dark ages, you know, we had two sets of books. You know, one Dirk, which we knew we were going to be positive. Let's maximize that. Yeah. And then the other one was almost like break even because we yeah. knew we were so good on that side. The non-Dirk minutes, we you know, and, and Rick has that. When, when when Luca's out, it's a total different offense. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so you're you're, he's coaching two teams almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's cool to see all that and the way all that has just thrown plans out the window and instituted new ones and mm-hmm. and you know you see is you know when you ask Mo's like I, I sat in the where I sit in the press area, uh, a lot of advanced scouts sit there and, mm-hmm. and they were sitting in a row in front of me. And some of those plays, like it was a Brooklyn game, I mean, they're just looking at each other and shaking their head. Yeah. And they're supposed to be the ones that are figuring out how to defend this. Right, right. And they're just they're like, supposed to be above it all. They're and they're just to... shrugging like, well, yeah. you're not going to be able to do anything about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I get to see it every time I'm on the road because you sit in, you know, a weird spot. Staples, you're like second row behind, you know, whoever, Dan, Dan Wokey and Dave McMenamin or something. And you're behind all these national people and them seeing other people's reaction to Luca now is 
or even the it's opposing like the fans fun. who are like, yeah, we yeah. see it every day, but we're still odd. But then you're yeah. like the opposing, like, whoa, yeah, what is going on? And you're on? starting to see now, you know, and I've heard this from players who are, have been here for years, you know, the crowds at the hotels mm-hmm. are exponentially bigger oh, than they've ever been. They're huge. You know, and, and it's just, so he's a, you know, you're seeing those two o'clock Sunday games because they want him in Europe mm-hmm. in prime time. I mean, the global brand that he mm-hmm. is and being a Jordan guy and all that, it's just, um, you know, we've got that lightning and it, you want to take advantage of that. You yeah. don't want to be a team that seven years from now goes, oh, we squandered right. this opportunity. Yeah. So as much as it's great that you get that stud and you built it, like now the responsibility of, of caring for that oh, and yeah. doing it the right way is yeah. so huge. That's that's. I've had a conversation with people that sit over there about that, um, about, okay, there's going to be, there's a kid right now that was my age whenever Dirk was coming up and the responsibility that we have to make that kid a Luca fan and tell Luca's story and be the lens that he sees him through and becomes obsessed with the game of basketball through, that's our responsibility. Right. That's our duty. That's our day to day now. And you're starting to see it a little bit. Like, you know, they were all stuff fans. Even in yeah. Dallas, all the kids, ten and under, were stuff fans. They're now converting to Luca mm-hmm. fans. But it's telling the story of what he does with a sick yeah. kid pregame, or yeah, and not just all those. Just being fun, having joy, and and the you know the questions from a cup and all that kind of stuff, yeah. right? All of that together, because you are the front lines of building that brand. Like ESPN's yeah. going to do whatever they do right. and all that, and Nike's going to do what they do. But day to day, you're you're telling his story. Yeah, and yeah, I think I was talking to Jay Lim, and he was like, "Man, you can't think of it that way. That's so much responsibility." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, but that's how it works. That's the gig. It's fun though. It's about better than like I say, selling a used car, right? Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I could be digging ditches, you know." Well, when uh, I say selling a used car, sell, you know, being here, a used car is a metaphor for a 21 team. Right, exactly. You don't want to do that. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's fun, man. It's, that's, that's what we're here for. That's, uh, that's why we do yeah, stuff enjoy like the this. ride, and, and it's – let me ask you this. Yeah. I've been thinking about this, mm-hmm. and it's a crazy question to even ask. Do you think the Mavs win a title in the next 10 years? 100% yes. I agree. And that's a crazy statement to say. Yeah. 100% yes. That, that is an insane thing to say. Yeah. Because only yeah. 10 teams, at, at the most 10 teams are going to do it. You probably have repeats. Maybe seven, six teams are going to do that. Mm-hmm. That's a crazy thing to think about. And that's what we have to remember that, okay, if you really believe this thing's going to win in 10, you know, a thing in 10 years, then let's, it's the, it's the go forward versus planning, you know, keeping that mindset but mm. that's freaking cool when you know yeah. that's probably going to happen and yeah. we're we're at the we're at the 2001 of the Mavs mm-hmm. now with the you know the big three and going right it, it's it's again we should be pinching ourselves that we're getting to do this again mm-hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely and it's it's just, it's the the fickle nature of an NBA season that it's so long and there's so much travel and there's so many ups and downs to kind of keep yourself, remind yourself that, you know, I thought this team would be lucky to be 42 and 40. Right. And I we thought, switch our expectations so yeah, fast. Exactly. And, you know, I thought there'd just be a lot of helium involved in the hype around Luca. I there's, thought he would take a step back. I, I, mean, I said that publicly. Yeah. I said, you know, like Donovan Mitchell did, you know, last yeah. year, like maybe the first part of the year, it's, mm-hmm. you know, people have clued in and done research and he'll go regressive. <laughs> 
what was I wrong? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, uh, man, this was fun. Thank yeah, you for, thank for you sure. for coming over here. I enjoy, uh, always enjoy our chats, whether they're uh, recorded or not. We should do one around right after the all-star game and kind of take the pulse where we are. And yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you, Fred. All right, buddy. Yeah. Be good.